Good morning. Give me just a second here to get my stuff together. How are we doing this morning? Can I tell you how incredibly sweet that was for me? That's the first time me and my beautiful uh, oldest daughter, Daisy Joy, have been able to lead worship together. And uh, so I'm so grateful for that opportunity. However, it's not for a great reason. Uh, Pastor Daryl is not feeling well. He's sick today, so please pray for him. He's been, he was sick all last week and thought he was over it, and then uh, called us yesterday and said, I'm not over it. I have 102 fever, and I feel awful, so please, please pray for me and, and bail me out. <laughs> so the three of us said, let's sing some songs, and, and we did. So um, pray for Pastor Daryl today, but how sweet it was to sing and worship with you, Daisy. So proud of you, love you, and I can't go there because I'm going to weep and bawl in front of you, which you're used to, so it's uh, not that big of a deal, but how good is our God? I'm so grateful to, uh, to have you with us today. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City. We've been in a series called GPS. It stands for Gifts, Passions, and Story, and the hope that we've been reading about in God's Word in Ephesians 2 is that God has saved us, right? We are God's people. He saved us by his grace. In fact, he's called us a masterpiece, even though it's hard to take, it's hard to understand, it's hard to believe, it's true. By God's grace, not only has he saved us, but he's making us a masterpiece, and he has prepared for us works that we would walk in, and God wants to do amazing things in this world. How many of you would say that we're facing, not, we talked about David a little bit last week in, in his battle with Goliath. How many of you would say we face a battle every day with other uh, monsters, maybe not called Goliath, but we face brokenness in this world, right? You agree with that? How many of you would agree that Jesus is the answer to the brokenness of the world? Would you agree with that? How many of you would understand that the way that the world is going to get Jesus, <laughs> the way that the solution of Jesus is going to come to the world is through you. Sometimes we go, huh, I, I agree it's broken, and I agree Jesus is the answer, but me, right? Yes, this is how God wants to redeem the world through his church. And it's this beautiful uh, a plan that God has for us. So we've been talking about our gifts and giftings. Thank you, Lawrence, for, um, looks like he's probably working in kids today, but Thank you for uh, mentioning this assessment. If you can, fill it out. It's important that we do this together as a church, and, and we're going to get into why, because you need to know what your giftings are. You need to know what your APEST giftings are. We're going to look at that today and, and say, what, what is that? And it's something we're going to look at out of Ephesians 4. But as we grow as a church, we're going to need to know those giftings so we can lean on you for those areas of, of service. It's very very important that we know that. So giftpassionstory.com is where you can find that uh, assessment. Uh, if you just click on this link uh, or QR code with your, with your camera on your phone, it'll take you, uh, I think, to the assessment. But anyway, if you haven't done that, go ahead and fill that out so that you and your city group can discuss your giftings. Some of the giants we face in this world look like this. They look like poverty. They look like disease. They look like hunger, racism, illiteracy. Sex trafficking, go on and on and on. All different types of demonic evil that we face. But we believe Jesus is the answer. That Jesus is the hope of the world. And he's given us as his church these giftings and these passions 
to change it. So what are yours? Maybe you're finding out what your gifts are. Do you know what your passions are? Because here's the deal. If you don't know what your passions are and where you're supposed to serve, the assignment that God has given you, then it can get, it can get kind of ugly. I like this quote from uh, the beginning of the book. Brian Phipps says this. He says, when we don't walk in faith and clearly understand our passions, we end up ignoring our responsibility. We're like off-duty drunken sailors fighting each other rather than keeping our focus on the real enemy. If we fail uh, to man our passion-revealed battle station, we will end up fighting the wrong people and the wrong battles. Sit in that just for a moment because I'm afraid a lot of the church in America, I'm afraid we're fighting the wrong battles. And, and, and friends, I just want us to wake up to the real battle that you are in. I'm sadly afraid that many believers are here. We, we often go to church based on our preference. Well, I kind of like this, I kind of don't like that. And we don't understand the very purpose of the church is family. The very purpose of the church is mission. Right? Some of you say, well, I just really didn't like that worship song we sang this morning. And I would say, I'm sorry, we weren't worshiping you. Right? We were worshiping Jesus. And so sometimes we go, hey, that's not, the, that's not the, my favorite thing, or I don't like this time, or this is that, or whatever, but this is my family, right? And, and we realize the things matter most. Th this is the reality of much of the church around America today. You know, some, somewhere somebody told us just to be Christians, just go to church a little bit. Just be pretty good people, don't do too many bad things. That's kind of what the, the message has been in the American church in many ways. Just show up for church, sing some songs, be pretty good folks, don't do too many bad things. And friends, can I just tell you, <laughs> it's so much more. It's kind of like, like if I were to give uh, you a space suit and you put it on, you had the helmet, and I would say, you're an astronaut now. That would be silly, wouldn't it? You might look like an astronaut, you might look like you know what you're doing, but you haven't done the training, you don't know the understanding, you, you wouldn't know the first thing about outer space. And so much of that reality happens in the church that we show up and we go, hey, I, I want to know the Lord and I want to do what, what God wants me to do. Isn't this all I'm supposed to do? No, it's not all you're supposed to do. God has called you to know him and make him known. To love people in the church, outside of the church. To understand your giftings and to be on mission with the God of the universe. He's saved you. He's gifted you with good works to change this world. So we have to be the ones that step into the darkness of that brokenness. We, we have to be the ones to be that salt and light. We have to be the ones to bring the kingdom of God. And that means we're going to have to live out of our gifting. That means we're going to have to understand our passion. So what, what are your passions this morning? And I want to just say this too because I think in many ways the modern church has gotten this mixed up a little bit. And I want to just kind of give a caution um, you know, you've heard this phrase, social justice, right? And I'm all about justice and equity. And I believe our God is. But often we can chase social justice and not biblical justice. So let me tell you what the difference is. Social justice is I'm going to help the homeless and I want to do some good things and be with them and just spend some time. And okay, that's, that's good. That's justice for our society. But 
to put a, a spin on that, say, okay, I'm going to go help the homeless. And in my helping the homeless, I hope to build a relationship with them, to tell them about the God of the universe, to tell them that he saves, that Jesus loves them. And the hope is that they know, see, experience the love of Jesus until they know him personally. Do you see the difference? That's biblical justice. We don't stop at justice. We do justice as part of our good works and what God has called us to for the purpose of biblical justice. That, that we can see people come to know Christ as their Savior. You know, I think every one of you this morning have a Goliath. Every one of you have a monster that really ticks you off. There is some passion in your soul. I'm looking at some of you and I know some of them. I know some of those passions. I could say a certain type of uh, um, issue, a certain type of ministry or a certain type of thing that, that needs to take place in the world and, and you just get lit up. Well, that may be what God is calling you to in your passion. We feel this righteous indignation or this, sometimes we cry at certain commercials or we hear about certain issues and it just rocks us. And the sad reality is you'll just sort of dismiss it if you don't maybe understand that that could be the very thing God is calling you to serve in. And that he's gifted you to do something amazing in that area. This morning I want us to look at passions, right? Our God is a God of passion. Uh, and I want to look at a few different texts, three different specific texts. And I want to look at three eyes this morning, the three eyes about passion. I want to talk about investments. I want to talk about issues, and I want to talk about influence, okay? If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 25, verse 14. This is going to kind of come on the tail end of the message from last week, but I, as I read through this, I just thought this is something we need to uh, touch base on after last week's message on gifts. Matthew 25, 14 says this, for it will be like a man going on a journey. Can I, let me just preface this. This is Jesus just before he, he goes to the cross. And, and, you know, after the cross, he's raised, he's, he's on the earth, and then he ascends back into heaven. He's going away. Okay, so this is a little bit of a metaphor about what's about to happen in some ways. Look here. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another uh, two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He, uh, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. They each doubled it. But he uh, who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, uh, Master, you delivered to me five talents, here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said, uh, had the, the, the one who's had two talents comes forward and says, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And, he, and his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. 
here uh, you have what is yours. In other words, I've just given you back what you gave me, the same amount. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is one of these serious texts that you can't read without feeling the gravity of it. Right? This is Jesus talking about hell. This is Jesus talking about the fact that he has made an investment in you as believers in Jesus. You have giftings and it's an investment. And those giftings aren't for you to get to decide whether you want to use them or not. God has given you gifts to be invested, to use. You know, when you invest something, you risk, don't you? You have to take what you have and take a risk and work with it and do your best and apply knowledge and experience and everything. And you got to do your best, but you got to take what you have and put it out there. And so this story is frightening in many ways. Here Jesus is teaching his disciples much of what he's teaching us today, and that is, how do we live in the present and yet keep our eyes on eternity? How do we live right now in our lives today with our families and the things God has called us to and yet see that in light of eternity, God has given us gifts, but it's not just for us to hold on to. He wants a return on investment. You heard that phrase before? ROI. God wants some ROI out of the giftings you have. And when you read this text, you go, whew, what am I doing with my gifts? A am I truly taking what he's given me and making more of it? Am I, am I seeing more of the kingdom of God come through my giftings? Am I seeing more blessing come? A is that investment producing something of God? I want you to notice how serious the Lord is as he speaks about this investment and these giftings. Each believer, as we said last week, has been given different gifts, natural and uh, supernatural, all, all God-given, and yet some that God uses to do spiritual purposes with. If we just sit on those, if we just bury them, if we don't use them, then we're not seeing that investment and we'll give the Lord no return. First two buried, the first two uh, invested these and doubled it, right? One had five, turned it into ten. One had two, turned it into four. And then the third one was disobedient. I like how he says, I was afraid. In other words, I kind of wanted to be safe. And it's funny because as you read that and you read the response of the Lord to say, you wicked and slothful servant. Like, it's, a, it's quite a, a, a shocking response. But one theologian I read said, you know what, this guy's trying to cover his bases. He was just trying to say, I was trying to be safe. The reality was, he didn't care. The reality was, he didn't have faith. The reality was, he, he didn't work. He was lazy and disobedient. He didn't take risk. And because of that, he was punished. So the question I have for you and me this morning is, what have we done with the investment that God has given us? Have we grown them? Or have we squandered them?
because we can be sure that God has given them to us for a purpose. And it's my prayer that we know what they are and we use them for his glory. I want to look at the the following text from Matthew 25. Equally frightening text, but gives us more information on what it means to uh, have God's passion in our lives. Matthew 25, verse 31. We'll continue reading. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus. Let me make this comment here. Before, Jesus was giving sort of a metaphor, right? Now, this is not a metaphor. This is a prophecy. Jesus is speaking this, and this is an event that will take place. It has not taken place yet, okay? There will be a judgment, and Jesus is now going from metaphor to the reality of prophecy. He's now foretelling what's going to happen in the future. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Equally frightening text. But do you notice for the believer what is important to Jesus about somebody who, who lives a Christian life? Do you notice? So I didn't see in there, uh, hey, make sure you, you get to that service. Right? That's not how he describes the Christian life. Even though service is important, we're glad you're here. So glad you're here. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. Jesus here equates a life in Christ with powerful intentional action moved to people in need. You see that? Jesus says, people who know me will be people who care for those in need. That's what he says. Be people who love the the broken, the hurting. He gives six different types of needs here, Jesus does. He says, he talks about hunger, thirst, uh, Clothing, these are all sort of like physical needs. And then he talks about emotional soul needs in a way. He talks about companionship. He talks about uh, care when we're sick, healing. He talks about 
uh, care and visiting when we're in prison. These are so important. The, all these six needs of humanity, every need in humanity can, in essence, fall into these categories. And yet Jesus says, if you're a follower of me, your life will be marked by compassion toward people like this. Right? To have caring action. To know Jesus means we will be characterized by serving people in need. If your only understanding of church is just sort of this religious aspect of, uh, of doing something. Like a church service. Or making sure you, you never make a mistake. and all the, Listen, you don't understand the grace of Jesus because we're all full of mistakes. We have no hope apart from Jesus and his saving grace, right? That's it. And it's out of this place of grace that now we begin to walk in these gifts that God has prepared for us. It's out of this place of grace and understanding we have no hope apart from Jesus. But because of Jesus, I'm a masterpiece. And I can walk in these gifts and I can do the things God has called me to do. And I can serve people in need. But friends, can I just tell you, the church, many believers in the church are caught up in lesser battles. That's what I like to call them. We get caught up in lesser battles. And I, trust me, I have my mind that I struggle with all the time. So I've got some that I'm stepping on my own toes. But can I just, can I just mention a few here? How many of us get so excited about football season? And we live based on stats and W's and L's and players and positions. And, and we just, we live for a sport that doesn't really matter at all. And we, we give our lives to this battle. Or what about stocks? We're watching the stock market up, down, what's going to happen? How is this my, has my, and we live by this, this, this thing. What about uh, status, where you live, what you drive, how people see you, perception? Th these are just battles that they're taking your attention from the real battle. Some of us climb the ladder of the corporate world. Can I, that's all that matters to me. I'm in this battle to, you know, YOLO. You only live once, so I might as well get as much as I can. The one with all the toys wins, right? No. You live for eternity, friends. And if you don't understand that, you may not know Jesus as your Savior. What is the battle we're in? We are in a real battle, an actual battle, an actual enemy. We talked about this in Ephesians 6. And the world is full of battle and brokenness and wounded people. Let me, let me ask you this question. What, what is it that tugs at your heart? When I say um, an issue or uh, a, a cause. What is the cause that tugs at your heart? Rob Wegner in his book says, what are the issues that awaken your heart? Because in that awakened set of passions is an invitation from the living God to join him in mission. Maybe you've never understood why you were just so drawn to adoption. I'm just so passionate about adoption. Praise God for that need and that love and that cause. And God is, is, is burdening your heart in that area. The book says that there's three different types of uh, 
issues, I'm calling them. So we talked about investment, and I want to talk about issues for a moment. The first one is people passion. Is there a group of people that you're drawn to? My wife and I um, are drawn to uh, different people and different things. Maybe, I want to put these on screen, maybe you're drawn to things like this. Spending time with disadvantaged children. Uh, So many of you remember Coach Larry Clark. I love him very much. He's not a part of our church anymore, but he loves to coach. He loves to invest in children. And it's a beautiful ministry that he has and a beautiful heart that he has for children. He's drawn to those children. Mentoring a teen, reaching out to your neighbors to find out how to serve them. Spending time with seniors in a nursing facility, working to stop human trafficking, serving in a women's shelter, serving a meal to a homeless person. That's, those are like people-based issues. And when you see one of those, and there's many more, does your heart go, oh, I'm, I'm drawn to that? Well, pay attention to that. The second type of issue is, is like a cause or, or, or an issue. And I was going to say, my wife and I are, are motivated in many ways because of our story, and we're going to talk about that next week. We're motivated to uh, marriages and families and the sanctity of life. Uh, My wife grew up in a broken home, and it had a pretty major effect on her life. So when we start dating, we start talking about marriage, and we get engaged, we had these conversations that dealt with the brokenness of the home. And we said from day one, you know what? Divorce is not an option. It's not even a word that exists in this marriage. We won't even let, it's just not even something we'll ever talk about. No. And, and as long as I can be committed to Jesus and following him, then he'll give us the grace to be married. And by his grace, for 28 years, he has done that. Praise God. We are drawn to marriages who are hurting. We are drawn to people who are struggling in their marriage. We are drawn to broken marriages. People who are children or adults of broken marriage. We're also, part of our story is infertility. And so people who have have lost children, people who have had miscarriages, people who have have struggled with infertility, our hearts just go whoom to them. We love being near them and encouraging them and reminding them that there is hope and that God loves them and has a beautiful story. These are the things that our hearts are drawn to. So there's people passions. There's cause or issue passions. I want to put these on screen. Maybe some of these will jump out at your heart. Families and marriage, at-risk children, abuse, violence, uh, financial management, divorce, disabilities, law, justice system, sanctity of life, homelessness, recovery. That's like drug and alcohol recovery ministry. Prison inmates and families, illness and injury. There's, there goes on and on. What is it that when you see some of the realities of these things... There's a whole other section of them on the right. That your heart is just drawn to these things and to these people who are having to deal with these issues. Pay attention because God may be drawing you to serve with your gifting and your passion in these areas. Okay, so investments. I pray that we know our gifting and that we're, we're giving a return on that investment to the Lord because he takes it seriously. He expects a return. He expects us to use the gifting he's given us. Issues. What issues draw your heart? What issues make you come alive, passionate? And then lastly, I want to talk about influence. Because all of us have influence. Look in your Bibles with me. In Ephesians 4. I like the way the writer in the book kind of explains. He says, God is a God of passion. And in the Imago Dei... 
how God has created us in his image, he's given all of us a piece of his passion. And so each of us have a different aspect of passion, just as in a similar way that we're all different in personality types and different things. He's gifted us differently. So in the same way that we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, there's a reason we're, we, serve, we have different giftings, right? So we can serve differently, right? There's a reason we're not just a bunch of ears laying around or a bunch of feet. We need hands. We need brains. We need hearts. We need every aspect to be able to function properly. And so God has gifted us differently. In the same way God has dif- gifted us differently in these influencing uh, styles. Look with me in Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7, and then we're going to jump down to 11 and 12. So verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So God has given us all these giftings. And look down at verse 11 as he begins to explain some of these giftings. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In the book, he calls these influencing styles. Now, if, you're, if you've been around the church or maybe you've studied this a little bit more, you're familiar with the term APEST. Right? It's just an acronym for apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay? APEST. Just a way to remember those five giftings. The truth is God has given all of us giftings and differently, and we all have some of these giftings. I want to explain what they are, okay? Uh, The book defines this as saying, our APEST gifts reflect different ways in which the passion of God is mediated through different people. The apostle, this is what he does. They send and extend. The Latin literally just means sent one. We've talked about that in in the book of Acts. Apostle is a sent one. So when you apply it to a gifting of somebody in our, in our church, uh, these are the people that are, they're ready to start new churches. They're, they're ready to go on mission trips. They're ready to extend the kingdom of God. The book puts it this way. The apostles are on the forefront, working on the frontiers and exploring the edges of what is possible. They're drawn to design, thinking about overall, the overall system, and they have a missional focus. Maybe this will surprise you or not, but this is my top APEST gift. I'm apostolic in this way. And I read this and I go, yep, that's me. My second gifting is prophet. <laughs> it's the next one. Prophets question and critique. <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> right? I'm just trying to, how can we rework this? Is there a better way to do this? They question and critique. They're truth tellers. They tell it like it is. They can't help it. They just lay it out there. They feel called to help God's people to be faithful, calling out sin, challenging believers from God's word to live in God's way. The book says this about prophets. It says, prophets question and reform. They're sensitive to God and what's important to him. They have a love for what is true and right, and they know what needs to be emphasized when it comes time to challenge and confront. The prophet asks questions and can sometimes be a provocateur deconstructing and critiquing the current systems and structures, guilty as charged. 
But there's a purpose. Some of you, maybe in your heart, you're kind of going, I think that's me. That, I feel that way. Ask my wife, ask my husband. I'm a truth teller. I, pay attention. Pay attention to these definitions because I want you to understand what your influencing style and gift is in this area. Here's the third one, evangelist. This was the top influencing style of my bride, as you can imagine. Listen to this. They invite and gather. They recruit others to the cause. They love to share the gospel in creative ways. They are naturally infectious and motivate others through communication and action. Does that sound like my wife? <laughs> that she just loves being around people. She loves spending time with people. She loves sharing with people the good news of Jesus. The book puts it this way. Evangelists love meeting new people and wooing them into relationship. They're great communicators and are often very convincing. They're always asking the question, will this help us to bring people to the point of conversion? Are you an evangelist? Is that something that you, when you read that you go, well, I think that's me. Because God may be drawing you, helping you understand the specifics of your influencing style, where you have influence as a gift of Jesus. The fourth one is shepherd. Think about Psalm 23, right? I rod and thy staff, they come from me. This is a, what a shepherd carries for protecting and providing. That's what shepherds do. They feel called to nurture spiritual development in small groups, in the church, in families. They, they love to maintain spiritual and communal health. And they, they're, they're quick to warn of false teachers, false doctrine. I have some of you that have come up to me and said, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? Hey, what do you think about this new dot, dot, dot? Right? And I'm going, yeah, let me think about it. And, and what you're doing is you're shepherding. You're using a shepherding gift of we need to make sure we stay on track. We need to make sure we protect the body. We need to make sure we provide our people with God's word and God's word alone. Thank God for you. My dear friend Hayden has this gifting. I love this. We need it. We need it in, uh, in spades. The uh, definition in the book says this. Uh, shepherds have a natural instinct to protect the community from danger and provide for its needs, both communally and individually. And then lastly, teacher. This is Pastor Darrell's main influencing style. He is evangelist and teacher. And, and listen, it says, explains, teachers explain and organize. It's why he's our executive pastor. He's good at those things, right? They have wisdom and understanding and a desire to help uh, others understand, feel connected, and grow spiritually. The book says this about teachers. Teachers find great satisfaction in helping others learn truth and wisdom. They tend to be more philosophical and find it easier to grasp complex systems and truths. They have an ability to help others understand. Love that. Many of you are teachers. Some of you are using some of these gifts even in some of our ministry here on our campus with our children's ministry, our student ministry. Thank God for you. Heidi has this gift. So I just want to think through these different things and these different influencing styles. Your, your faces just pop up to me. And they should. Friends, can I just tell you, we need each other. God wants us to live as a family who's been gifted beautifully in a diverse way that, need, that each gift needs the other. I was sitting in our Conway group last week. It was just a small group, five people, including me, sitting there. And, I, and I, we were talking about these influencing styles. 
And I said, just for, just for fun, everybody in that group, I will say, had done their assessment. I'm just saying. Um, but everybody in the group had done this assessment. I said, hey, let's learn what your influencing styles are. And so uh, they began to tell me, can I just tell you something? How beautiful is this? In five people, guess how many APES gifts were represented? Five. There are churches all over the world that may be five or six or ten or fifteen. And you know what I believe? I believe all five of those gifts are present in those churches. Because God knows how to equip his people and his church with what's needed to care for the body. That's what he does. All right, I want to close this morning. Listen, God has made an investment in you. He's given you beautiful gifts, diverse gifts that are needed for the church, yes, but they're also needed for the world. They're needed for these broken people, broken systems, and broken realities all around us. Your giftings. God wants, just like he used David's harp. And when he began to play, the atmosphere began to change for Saul. And an evil spirit couldn't stay on him anymore. It had to go away. That's a spiritual gift. That's something natural gifts can't do. It's God giving us something that, that helps us change uh, spiritual dynamics. God has given them to you and he expects a return on his investment. And then God has given us the ability to feel connected to certain issues. Next week, I, I think we're going to find out that that has a lot to do with your story. I've heard many of your stories. That's one of the things I love about our church is, you know, to uh, become a member. We call it partner here. But to become a partner here at South City, you go through a small group, which we're going to have in September. If you're not a partner of our church and you want to be, and I know several of you are not, and you've talked to me about wanting to become a partner, this group is going to start in September, and I'm excited about it. But what I love about these groups is we share our stories. We talk about what God has been doing in our lives from when we were younger. We, we say, how, what are some of the three or four things that are the most significant spiritual moments of your life? And share them with us if you can. And people share brokenness and heartache. And they share joy. And they share victory. And they share purpose. And they tell us the things of their lives and their children. And we usually sit there with them and weep with them and laugh with them. And we build an unbelievable connection to them as the family of Christ. As the body of Christ. I believe we're going to find out next week that our story will be this final point of triangulation with <laughs> our gifts and our passions and how God has been writing our story this whole time. And as we put those three together, we begin to go, now I can see what God plans for my life. Now I can see maybe where he's been moving me all along. Now I can see why I've been passionate about that area and why he's gifted me in this area because of what happened in my life. And as we put these together, we begin to see a powerful powerful opportunity for the body of Christ to make a difference in the world. Do you believe that? I do with all my heart. With all my heart, I believe it. Friends, I encourage you to find out what your influencing style is, which, by the way, you can find out in this assessment. Your spiritual gifts and your influencing style come out of this assessment at giftstorypassion.com. I'm going to read one last quote, and we're going to be finished. These two guys are, are some of the leading experts in APES gifts in Ephesians 4. And I uh, just love their writing. Alan Hirsch and Tim Ketchum in the, they, from the book, The Permanent Revolution Playbook. It says, not everyone's an apostle. 
but all of us are called to live on mission. Not everyone is a prophet, but everyone needs to know how to listen to God. Not everyone is an evangelist, but we're all called to share the good news. Not everyone is a shepherd, but everyone is supposed to care. Not everyone is a teacher, but we're all called to share what we know. This is the body of Christ using the giftings that God has given us right, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you know Jesus as your Savior, God has called you to a ministry. If you're a new creation, God has given you a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What is that? How are you bringing light to darkness? How are you changing the world? We want to help you figure that out. And I pray that even this series maybe is helping you get a little close, closer to that. Let me pray for us, and we're going to wrap up. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for the blessing of your giftings. Thank you for the incredible blessing of the church of Jesus. Lord, I, as I study the church and I see how important the church is to you, Lord, how important the church is to the end times, how important the church is to one another, to mission. God, you say in Ephesians 3 that it's through the church that you want to let all the world, spiritual world and, and earthly world to let them know about Jesus and, and the plan of salvation. It's through us, the church, and so God, may we see that church is not just a building we come to or a service we attend, but it's a life we live, live out in compassionate action to people in need. God, can I, I just want to pray this prayer with all my heart. I, I don't want to be known as the church on the freeway anymore. I don't want to be known as the church that looks like an A-frame anymore. God, with all my heart, I wish when people thought of South City Church, they'd go, that's the church that's making a difference in our city. That's the church that's on fire for Jesus. That's the church that's doing anything they can to make a dent in the brokenness in Little Rock and Conway and Alexander and Bryant and Vinton and Hot Springs and all over central Arkansas and different places of the world. God, would you give us a passion to understand what you're calling us to, to this darkness, to this brokenness. And would you move us, Jesus, in this direction? Help us, Father. Help us to wake up that we're in a battle. We're in a battle for our children, for our marriages, for our church for our own souls and help us to lessen the importance of lesser battles and heighten the importance of the real battle we're in. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done and all you're going to do. God, we give you this day. We give you our gifts and our passions. And we pray, Father, that this week as you would sink some of these truths into our hearts, that you'd help us to think about the story you've been writing and want to continue to write in us. And I pray that we would understand those things, God, so that you would move us closer to the purpose you have for our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.